Good morning. Welcome to Holy Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara, and I'm the director of Community Life. Uh, this morning, I want to introduce our guest worship leader, Michael Watson. He's coming from Oregon, now lives in the beautiful city of San Diego, and he's going to lead us this morning. Dom, you got, oh, there it is. Thanks, man. It's good. Hey, it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. This is so fun. I've, I've uh, worshiped with you guys a few months ago, so I know what this church is all about. Um, just a privilege and an honor to, to be able to worship with you guys this Sunday. Yeah, um, as Ian was saying, my wife and I moved down here from Oregon about a year ago, and uh, we're just loving San Diego. It's so good. There's like a freeway and a taco shop anywhere you want to go, you know? <laughs> Like you can just zip there, and then there's tacos waiting for you. We're not, we're not used to that. In Oregon, all we get is like um, fresh water and no taxes. But, uh, <laughs> so those things matter to you. Yeah, um, just driving here this morning, this song kind of popped in my mind. It's one of the first songs I learned as a Jesus follower, so I think it's a good way to just kind of prepare ourselves uh, to worship through singing. And I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, all my soul rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet Father is what unites us all here this morning. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Yes. 
you're alive You call me out of the grave You call me into the light You call my name and then my heart came alive Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me And what a love And what a love we found Death can't hold us down We shout it out song written 400 years ago and it's a reminder that we are joined in something so much bigger than ourselves as a church of God we enter a story that God has been well he created from the beginning of time we join in a song that's being sung even right now in heaven and around the world people that have been adopted into the family of Jesus our father Yahweh the one who's gracious who's compassionate who's faithful in his love towards us and so let's sing that again, church, recognizing this beautiful thing that we get to be a part of, the love of God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy. 
Father, it's good to be in your house. It's good to be surrounded by our new family. We pray, recognizing that your spirit is here with us, giving us peace, offering us peace from our lives and the tyranny of the urgent, the emails, the social media, all the things that are begging for our time and our energy. Now we can just be surrounded by our family, in your grace and your love, able to take a deep breath and let your peace settle in. You show us life that is truly life. We thank you, God. We worship you through song. You give life, you are love, you bring light. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only great are you so we sing this verse again let it be a prayer that guides us for those we love and for our city God would restore, that God would bring life to this place, to where we work, to our homes. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
time all the earth and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing Awesome. You're truly worthy of our praise, Father. We love you. And would you be honored and blessed by your children gathering and praising you for your goodness. In his name, amen. Amen. Well, the church has done something for thousands of years, I think, called Pass the Peace. And we just do that by saying greet one another around you. So go ahead and take the next few minutes right now and just say hi to the people around you. Make sure they're welcome. If they're new here, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. How are we all doing this morning? Good. All right. Students, welcome. Glad you're here with us, those joining online. My name is Dominic Nuncio. I'm the executive pastor of ministries here. If we haven't met, we're glad to meet you. Whether this is your first time, if you've been here for a long time with us, we're glad you're here and gave your Sunday morning to be with us. Uh, would you just thank Michael again for leading us through worship through song? Love that uh, you can be a musician and have a pastoral heart at the same time, so you can sound good and love the Lord and know about Him. Uh, those aren't always things that happen, so we're glad you joined us this morning. Uh, I want to direct your attention to a few things before we continue in our service. This is a way of celebrating what God is doing in our church, and if you have a bulletin, I'm going to direct your attention to two things, and then we'll move on in our service. One is, in the back, you'll see a picture that says Connect Card. This is our Connect and Prayer Request form, and this is our way to connect with you. We don't get to talk to each one of you on the patio, and it's impossible for us to do that in the short amount of time that we have. So this is a very real and tangible way that we can come alongside you and partner with you. And then I encourage you, we're going to take the next 10 seconds, and I'd like each of you, if you have one of these, to fill it out and let us know a prayer request you have. We take time every Tuesday as a staff to pray for you. There's a team of men and women praying for you throughout the week, and we value and treasure the fact that we get to partner with each of you in some of the highest highs and lowest lows that are in your life or people that you know. So if you don't have a prayer request, you can always write, pray for Dom in that line, okay? <laughs> Uh, I'm sure the staff does that often, and uh, they'll just take that cue. So we're going to take 10 seconds. 
Grab a pen in the back of your seats and just fill that out even now. Uh, No prayer too big or small if you know somebody that has one. Let's just take 10 seconds now to fill that out. Great. Thank you for doing that. You can keep doing and writing in there. I won't take offense if you don't look at me. Um, It's a hard face to love, I know. Um, The second thing I want to direct your attention to, you have a lot of announcements going on. There's four mentioned in here, but there's a ton going on at our church, and I just encourage you to check out our beautiful website, ljcc.org, to find out more what's going on. You can even sign up, contact us, and and you'll get... uh, our Rethink Pray, you'll get our weekly email that lets you know what's going on in the life of our church. But I want to highlight two things specifically, and then we'll move on. The first is life groups. Life groups are launching today. By a show of hands, who is or has been in a life group? Great, a lot of you. What I want to say is it's not too late to sign up. We're starting today. We believe as a church we're better together. We want to move from these rows into circles and do life on life with each other. And that can happen in various ways, and we have uh, groups in different shapes and sizes for you to join. And if you've done a life group with us before or somewhere else and you had a negative experience, I want to encourage you that it's not a forever relationship to be in. We're not getting married. We're just saying give it a shot. Eight to ten weeks, and in any of those eight to ten weeks, you can go, not the group for me, and we want to find you another group, because at some form or fashion, there's a group that you'll connect with, and you'll be spiritually a forming community to help each other know and love Jesus more and more, and live out that. So sign up today. This man over here, Ian, will be outside on the table. He'll sign you up. He'll let you know more about that. The second is we have a Harvest Festival coming. Uh, October 26th, I saw the woot woot over there. That's good. October 26th, we're doing a Harvest Festival, and this is a way that we can invite our community to come onto our campus. Last year, we had 1,100 people flood this campus. What a beautiful thing, and many of you are a part of helping that happen, whether that was through donating candy, whether that was through donating time and painting faces and shoving candy in people's mouths for the glory of God. We're so thankful for each of you that did that, and I'm asking again today to sign up, to come and get involved. Wouldn't it be great to see 1,500 people on our campus? Wouldn't it be great to flood our campus where we have a parking issue? We'll just park in Good Sam's Parking. They won't know the difference, and it's going to be awesome. So come and be a part of this. Come and be a blessing to our community, and let's watch and see what God does in the lives of all the families that come on our campus. Amen? We're going to invite Ian, our Director of Communications, to come up, or I'm sorry, Community Life, to uh, let you know another announcement. I I do communicate a lot. Uh, next Sunday, after our second service, I'm going to ask Diane to come up here with me, is our Pathways to Faith class. We've been talking about it for weeks, but we wanted to bring up one of its, one of its uh, founding members, Diane. Uh, this is a great class, and it's happening next Sunday after the second service. But we wanted Diane to tell us, what's the purpose of, of Pathways? Pathways to what? <laughs> uh, it's Pathways to a Closer Relationship with God. The point isn't to know more facts so you score higher on your Jeopardy uh, competition with your friends. I know some of you are laughing because they really did go to Pathways because they wanted to score higher on Jeopardy. <laughs> but it's really about how do we, uh, how do we engage with God? How do, we, uh, how do we learn about God? How do we quit avoiding God? And we talk about a lot of uh, real basic things like how does God view our sin? How do we know that he loves us? 
we can't see them, him, but how do we pray? What's an effective way for us to pray and to study the Bible and to be with other Christians? Yes, we do cover doctrinal things. Yes, we do cover some theology. But really, our point is, how do we have a real relationship with him? And how can that be pertinent and applicable in our everyday life? And so we spend eight weeks going through different uh, aspects of that, like we spend a whole week on uh, going through an overview of the Bible from beginning to end, what's the Bible all about and why is it relevant. We also spend a week on prayer. We spend a week talking about how does God view our sin. And when we realize that we're out of fellowship with him or our life doesn't look very much like a Christian life is supposed to look, what do we do? How do we get back into harmony with him? How do we get back into um, walking with him again? What does that even mean? So it's, it's pertinent if you are not yet a Christian and you think, I have questions and I want to explore this further. It's, it's more information. It's, uh, it, it's practical and real and you can look at what it would look like. Um, if you are a Christian but you are fuzzy on some details or you're not really sure how do I grow in my faith, this is a great class for you. And likewise, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're not sure how to articulate that to someone else, how to help them grow, how to help them uh, have a more vibrant relationship with Christ, this is, uh, again, uh, material you can go through, subjects you can go through. It, uh, we are constantly using our Bibles and looking at not just what does people say, but what does God say about all of those various aspects. Thank you. You answered all my questions. <laughs> I just say that I field a lot of the questions about pathways and the, the big questions is, is it for me? I'm a new Christian. I don't know Christ. Oh, I've been a Christian for decades. And I can tell you, even going to this class after being a Christian for many years and going to seminary, it was about building that relationship with God. But there's also this, this aspect where you built relationship with others. People started connecting at tables. And if you're new to this church and you're like, oh, I'm just not sure I want to get into a life group, this is the group to get into. Just you're already here on Sunday. Jump into that group. Get some lunch, which is the added benefit. Even if you're not really going to pay attention, just eat the lunch and sit there. But you're going to get to meet people at this church. So this is amazing. Thank you, Diane. Let's continue our worship with some prayer. Father God Almighty, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are our all in all. You are, our, you are sovereign over all things. You love us with an everlasting love. You comfort us and you guide us. Thank you that we can come into a relationship with you that's very real and very personal. Father, we confess our need for you. We confess that we have fallen short of all that you would have planned for our lives to be. And we thank you, Lord, for the second and third chances that you give us. Thank you that we are your beloved children. Thank you. Father, we also want to thank you for this precious, precious church family. Thank you, Lord, for the way you have gone before us and that you are holding us up and holding us together. 
Father, there are many in our church family who are experiencing circumstances of life that are very challenging, very concerning. And I ask, Father, that you would touch each one of them individually and personally in a way that they know you are indeed with them always. Hold them close, Lord. Bring them tightly to you and build their confidence and faith and trust in you. Father, I thank you for our season of pruning. I thank you for that, Lord, because I know that when pruning has taken place, there is a new growth, healthy growth that will follow. And Lord, I'm so excited to see what you're going to do in our church in this, as we enter into this 14th year of being together. You are a mighty God. You have glorious plans, and you will be glorified. Father, I pray, too, uh, that as we, uh, as a church family, that you would touch us and give us a desire to build strong bonds of love and unity. A love and a unity not only with those of us who are gathered here, but a love and a unity within the community that you have set before us, the community that you have given us to minister to. And finally, Lord, I pray for the leaders in our cities, here in California, our state, and in the nation. I pray, Lord, that you would give our leaders great wisdom. I pray that you would speak to them through your word, or even the writing on the wall, that they may see it, and that they would have the courage and the strength to follow your lead in all things. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Michael, Ian, Diane. Uh, we are in a, at the end of a series we called Pursue. Uh, we started talking about uh, what does it look like to pursue faithfulness, uh, to pursue curiosity, to pursue compassion, generosity. We're talking about pursuing discipline today. And uh, <clears throat> the whole point of this is that God has called us to respond to him. Um, some people have gotten this a little bit confused, that they think that since God is the one who takes the initiative, that salvation isn't anything we can earn or we deserve. It's a gift from God. Uh, that we, it's not from us or by, accomplished by our works, the Bible says, so that no one can boast. Uh, there's a sense sometimes that, well, then I don't need to make any effort. The idea is that we're not meant to be passive. We're meant to be active as we pursue the grace that God has extended to us. So making an effort to pursue God isn't an, a work of us earning our way to God or earning his grace. It's us responding to the grace of God. Uh, grace, somebody said, is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's initiative from beginning to end. And yet it doesn't turn us into passive recipients. It turns us into active recipients. People who then say, okay, I want to pursue the Lord. Uh, if you sit at home and say, I wish I had a high school diploma. I wish I had a college education. I wish I had a master's degree. I wish I had whatever. Uh, and, and you told somebody that, they say, that's fantastic. What are you doing to pursue that? You say, well, no, I'm just trusting God for that. They would laugh. They would say, well, that's good. You should trust God for that. And you should trust that God will be with you as you pursue that. 
as you actively engage in pursuing what you believe God has put on your heart and your mind. And so we're talking about pursuing discipline. And, and this phrase, we can turn into uh, an imperative. Pursue discipline. If asked, uh, uh, if, if, if somebody said to you, hey, pursue discipline, uh, what would your response be? Uh, here's one guy's response. I am. They might look at us and go, no, no, you're smoking. Have you ever tried to stop smoking? It's a discipline. You, you, re, you rearrange your entire life around smoking. You are so disciplined because you always have to think, where's my smokes? How do I light them? Um, I grew up in a family where my mom and my dad smoked, and my dad eventually quit. My mom continued smoking. And I would say, Mom, stop smoking. And she would say, it's the only time I have any peace, I can go have a smoke. With five kids, I, I, you know, yeah, so okay. But, but at some point, she wanted to quit, but she was so disciplined in every other part of her life. But she was even disciplined about smoking because she always, always knew that she had some cigarettes. Uh, another dear friend told me recently, he said, you know, I know I shouldn't smoke. He has a big, impressive job involved with all kinds of people uh, doing big deal things. And he says, you know, I know I should quit smoking, but it's the one time I get to be on my own. So I smoke because nobody is allowed to smoke in the office. So I get to go outside for five or ten minutes and just be on my own going, wow, yeah. And he's really disciplined. He always figures out when and how, where he can smoke. So to say you're pursuing discipline doesn't necessarily mean you're pursuing something that people would say, that's a really good thing. This other woman, this other person, this woman says, yeah, so am I. I'm pursuing discipline. This is more conventional, right? She's on a stationary bike. She's working out hard. She's fit. She's smiling. She's daring us to get on a bike and keep up with her. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm disciplined too. So you might be sitting here saying, well, uh, I'm not really very disciplined. I guarantee that everybody here has a discipline that defines your life. Here's why. A discipline is simply habits and behaviors that shape us. Habits and behaviors that shape us through repetition, through routine, through reinforcement. So a bad habit is a discipline. An addiction becomes not just a driving force in your life. It becomes a discipline in your life. Uh, and therefore, some habits and behaviors hurt us. Some disciplines hurt us. If you have ever known a junkie, I can tell you they are amazingly disciplined. They're very well informed about the marketplace, uh, about any number of things that define their existence. Their whole life is built around that. And you think, well, that's, that's horrifically bad, right? But it's a discipline. So the fact is that God has put in our hearts the capacity to value discipline. And in a broken world, it takes some very bizarre turns. People do some things out of sheer discipline that you see that is absolutely destructive. Uh, if you've ever known a, a young person who's de dealing with an eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, they are insanely disciplined. What they can and can't eat. And it's mostly what they can't eat. They've got to be on it because, of course, in their mind, something else is going on. They're not wasting away. They, they, they look too fat. So some habits and behaviors hurt us. Um, <clears throat> some habits and behaviors help us live better lives. So here's this cute girl eating a salad. They had to give her candy, by the way, to bribe her into eating, to taking this picture. Um, but you go, yeah, all right, great discipline. Eat well, eat better. Many of you are right now saying, gosh, I'm trying to eat more healthy. So discipline is developing inner strength to achieve important goals. That's, that's the standard conventional uh, uh, definition that we would all embrace here. It's a good thing. It's training for doing something right. Do you agree with that? Yes. Uh, you wouldn't probably hold the job you have if you hadn't shown some discipline along the way. 
Uh, some of you guys, uh, I've known you since you were very little. Uh, you guys look so studly right now. I'm telling you, there's some discipline going on in your life that you guys have become very, very fit. And it's just like a mirror image of myself. I just look at you and I... <laughs> is that me walking toward me? No, it's Evan walking toward me. Um, uh, discipline is developing inner strength to achieve important goals. It's training for doing something right. Well, then what does this have to do with our faith? If everybody could be disciplined, and, and everybody could, you could be an atheist and say, well, yeah, I, I accept that. Funny thing, I'm in a church listening, listening to you talk, and that sounds like something I believe already. Well, here's where we go with it. Discipline as discipleship. Discipline is really about being a student. It's a structured way of learning. And so discipleship, being a disciple, is a person who is in a structured way of learning that's helping them grow toward a, a, a goal, something that is life-enhancing, perhaps probably life-transforming. So when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, we're saying a person who is under, living under the authority and guidance of Jesus himself, encouraged by people around them to grow into this promise of what he offers us in Christ. And so we ask Jesus to guide us in living in his grace and walking in his love. And in that process, we value godly character as much as we value great accomplishment. Uh, this is inherent to who we are. It's not just you, you do great things. It's, it's why are you doing them? How are you doing them? Does this reflect your character? Or is this just, just something you're doing to, to impress people? We live in an interesting time in our culture, uh, in a culture that is very confused on so many values. Uh, increasingly a secular culture, there's this massive sense that, hey, we don't like it when our leaders' personal lives and public lives are incongruent, when they don't match up. The whole Me Too movement is about that. But it's being applied in a lot of different ways, right? Just because you're a great executive doesn't mean you can get away with other things that aren't acceptable. Just because you were elected to office doesn't mean you can do things uh, that people will not hold you accountable for. There's a discipline that we're holding people accountable to. Because we, in our culture, why is our culture becoming so legalistic all of a sudden? Because God put it in our hearts that we want to see a congruity, an integration of what a person says they are and, and what they actually do. This is what we are because of God's image on us and in us. So even a person who says, I don't accept any of this Jesus stuff. I have just as good of values as you do. Yeah, but where did you get that desire for those values? God himself built that into you. And until you know him, you won't really know how to properly apply that. You won't know how to properly help people see what it looks like to be congruent. The same person on the inside as they are on the outside. And so that's why we ask Jesus to guide us in living in his grace, walking in his love. We value godly character as much as we value great accomplishment. And by the way, it's not enough for us to say, uh, it's just that you uh, do certain things that are acceptable. We also want people to do things that are blessing other people. So we, we really value the character and the accomplishments. Well, I go to church every week and I'm very faithful. Great. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Where are you going with it? Who's being blessed by it? So here's a personal affirmation. I, I, I just wrote this as, as my personal affirmation as an example for you to write your own. Uh, I want to grow and develop into the best version of me through God's grace, love, truth, and power working continuously in me. I'm acknowledging that it's God's grace working in me, even when I'm not aware of it, that makes it possible for me to become what I hope to become. And I'm expressing my desire to grow and develop, to cooperate with that, to pursue that. 
And so in that process, we humbly invite input, feedback, and guidance from godly people. We can't do it on our own. This is a, a room full of people who are go for it, get it done, can do people. Who often feel more comfortable saying, stand back, I'll take care of it. Which is laudable at one level and laughable at another level. Because we all need other people to help us do what God is calling us to do. You, you know, Janet, I would say, uh, but for having a, a wonderful community of people around us, uh, our kids wouldn't have turned out as well. Our marriage wouldn't have turned out as well. As you get honest about your life, your career wouldn't be where it is if it wasn't for other people helping you, supporting you, correcting you, guiding you, mentoring you. And so we humbly invite input, feedback, and guidance from godly people. We all need that, whether it's a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring or somebody who is much more experienced and knowledgeable as our mentor and guide. Uh, what's wrong with this cartoon? <laughs> Can you see what's going on here? These guys have a box full of rocks, and they're trying to wheel it with square wheels. And this guy's offering them this new thing called a round wheel, and they're saying, no thanks, we're too busy. We can handle it. We got it. Uh, this is some, so sometimes why people start reading the Bible and die somewhere in Leviticus. <laughs> they just go, I, I, I don't get the pathway. That's why taking a pathway. That's why being in a life group. That's why all these things that we create around here to help you grow are so essential. We can't do it on our own. We think we can. We can do stuff on our own. It's just not as effective or as efficient. So we recognize that change is hard. We all need help. Uh, and so God's word is our guide, God's spirit is our strength, God's people are our partners. We all want to change, but not that much. We will be conformed to something because, as I said earlier, we have inherited internalized disciplines through repetition, reinforcement, routine. But to change those, to move in the direction we think would, would really be the best version of us, that would be most honoring to God and would bless people, is hard. We mean well. We get started, then we get discouraged or distracted. And so God's word has to be our guide. If you're in God's word daily, regularly, every other day, whatever the rhythm is in your week, whatever time of day works best for you to be most consistent, the word of God seeps into our thinking, transforming our des the desires of our heart. And when we bump into things that would be contrary to that, the word of God reminds us, here's who you are. See, there's a battle going on at all times for your core identity. Who will define your core identity? If, you, if it's not the Lord himself that defines your core identity, you'll give that permission to a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a person who you're very impressed by, a person you don't even know but you emulate from afar. And we'll be in constant confusion about who we are. Our disciplines will be all over the map. Until you know that your core identity is that you are, beloved, you are a beloved child of God. And if you get that battle right, all other battles will sort themselves out. So when you want to say, hey, I want to steal that, I want to abuse that, I want to exploit that, your core identity is so clear that you say, you know, that's not who I am. And when you do do those things, when you, when you succumb to temptation, uh, when you do things that you know are inherently uh, uh, against God's word, against his will, and not good for you. You recover more quickly because you know how to repent. I need to get back to who I really am. And so all the things that you might use to describe yourselves, the core descriptor, the core feature of your identity must be this. I am a beloved son of God. I am a beloved daughter of God. I am a child of the king. I belong to him. 
Yes, but you were this and you didn't do that and you have this against you. All true, but thank God, my core identity is that I belong to him. Out of that, we resolve every other big battle in front of us. And so God's word guides us, God's Holy Spirit it gives us the strength to, to agree with God's word and to do something about it. And God's people are our partners. So if you feel like doing something really crazy and you say to your friends, I really feel like doing this, uh, they're going to say, good, can I watch? Or they're going to say, um, no, that's not really a great thing because you could, you could hurt yourself and a lot of other people. Why would you want to do that? It's a short-term gain for a very big long-term loss. Or if you're saying, I know I, I need to do this, but I'm really scared. I might fail. I might be embarrassed. Your friends are able to say, you know what? We'll be with you. You can do that. See, support and accountability are super important aspects of discipline. Support says, you can do that. You, you can do that. And then accountability says, when will you do that? I'm, I'm your friend. I believe you can do it. I'm going to ask you, when will you do that? How's it going with, with that? Instead of accountability being, I'm catching you doing something wrong, it's I'm encouraging you and cheering you on as you learn to do something right. And in that transformation, we say, I couldn't have done it, but for God's word, his spirit, and my brothers and sisters. It's awesome, don't you think? That's powerful right there. And so what does the Bible have to say about this, aside from read me? Um, uh, I called up Peter and asked him. Um, he sent in this. He said, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And keep eating the proper food as you grow. Uh, in another place, um, it said that, hey, by now you should be eating solid food. You're still drinking milk. What is your problem? Uh, right now, our little grandson, Miles, uh, is, is drinking out of a bottle. He's an adopted little guy. He drinks his bottle. And, we, and a month ago, we had to hold it. Now, he, he, he likes holding his bottle. Uh, and I'm, I'm so happy for him. If, when he's 16, I, 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 I'm in Dallas, and I go, Miles, what's with the bottle? <laughs> oh, dude, it is so handy. No, Miles, come on, man. You're supposed to be eating solid food by now. You know? Why? So that we can grow up. We can fully develop into all that our salvation promises us. Your salvation isn't just fire insurance from hell. It's a pathway into the largest, fullest life possible. The writer of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but actually seems painful. It's inconvenient. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You see the difference between trying and training? Training is a consistent application over time. Trying is flailing around and getting frustrated and giving up. Everybody wants to try and quit. We all need to train. Paul writes to Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Nourished on the truths of the faith, that is, you can't, Timothy, give what you don't have. And of the good teaching that you have followed, train yourself to be godly. He says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I remember one time, uh, I was at, uh, like in junior high, I was out in the garage lifting weights. My little skinny body trying to get in shape. Uh, so I did have a skinny body at one point. <laughs> my, my grandmother who was visiting walks out and she said, could you do something useful and open this jar? Like, I finally got it open, but it was like, she, her attitude was like, great, you're, li you're lifting these weights, but what are you going to do with it? 
So this is saying, hey, physical training, fantastic, but godliness, godliness likewise has a massive potential, big upside for things that God wants to do in you and through you. Just like that strength that you develop over time that allows you to do things you never thought you could do. And so he says, that's why we labor and strive, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. He's the Savior of all. Come to me, he says. Not everybody will come to him. But of those who come to him, especially those who believe, they say, this is everything he promised. Paul writes to the people in Ephesus, from him, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Interesting. Every one of us has a, has, has a part in a body that's held together by God himself. If we don't do our work, we're, we're, we're diminishing the capacity of the body. Uh, our basic rubric, our basic ethos as a church, uh, for me as a leader, is, uh, comes a few verses before this in the Ephesians 4.11. Uh, we equip the saints for ministry. Our job is to equip the brothers and sisters in Christ to know how to handle everything God has put in their hands. That they could build a life on that. No matter if you practice medicine or you sell shoes, you're a preschool teacher, you're building massive buildings. You're writing contracts. Uh, you're creating a code. You're coming up with new technologies. This is part of you being fully equipped to be a fully functional human being. Everybody has a part in that. So we are equipping the saints for ministry. Why? So that the whole body can be joined and held together and grow and build itself up in love as each of us does our work. Powerful, don't you think? That's a resource-rich community. So discipline is a lifelong growth process. It's not just something we do for little kids. It's not something we do just for students in junior high, high school, college. We want to be lifelong learners. And I find it helpful to think of it uh, from the design thinking perspective. Use design thinking to get organized. If you're not familiar with design thinking, it affects every human discipline. And Stanford University figured this out about 30, 40 years ago. They said, you know, if we can teach all of our students at every level, undergrad and graduate students, to think from a de design perspective, it will transform their work in their own field. So much so that des that design track has become about the most popular part of Stanford's curriculum. They took it from how to design, how to approach your profession from design, and, and enough graduate and undergraduate students said, uh, how do... I apply this to my own personal life. They created a class at Stanford called Designing Your Life. It got so popular, they had to write a book. You can purchase it called Designing Your Life. Brilliant. And so the design approach is simple, super simple. It's, it's this. Just get started. Have a bias for action. That's the technical term. A bias for action is a design principle. If you sit there long enough, you're going to say, okay, I've got to dive in and make something happen. I've got to put a pencil to the paper. I've got to put a, 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 you know, a tool in, 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 in action. So get started, bias for action. Then the next part is just try stuff. The technical term is prototyping. Well, let's try, okay. Um, wow, I think I'm going to start a life group. I don't know how. Hey, Ian, I want to start a life group. How do I do it? Do this. Okay. Well, we did it that way. It didn't work very well. Okay, we'll try this. All right. And so prototyping is simply... Uh, coming up with a, a model, a starting point, and then what do you do? You stay fresh by iterating. Iteration just means we do it again and again and we make it better. You, all of you in any field have done this. You show up the first day and they say, well, we want you to do this. You go, I'm not sure if I know how to do that. Well, just get started. 
Most people don't know how to do their job based on their undergraduate or graduate degree. That's just a fact of life. And so you go to work and they say, do this. And they look at it and they go, that's all right, but maybe try this. And so you keep iterating on that prototype. And pretty soon you become very uh, adept and competent at what you do. This is relationships. If, if you've gone to counseling, uh, you know this. They teach you some skills so that you can say, I hear you saying, and it feels awkward at first. You're very technique-y. I don't talk like that. Right. You don't think like that either. That's your big problem. That's why you're in counseling. <laughs> but in order to think like that, you have to start talking like that. It becomes so internalized to you, you stop talking like that. And then you say things like, if I understand what you're saying, I think you're saying this, right? So it also becomes just conventional again. But that, that process, the design approach, is, is going to help you be disciplined in your walk with God. So that when you start to read through the Bible and you feel like dying in Leviticus, you say, maybe I need a fresher way, a better way of coming at this Bible thing. And, and pretty soon there's people around you say, oh yeah, this is what helps me, this is what I do. And, and I, I, I have my lousy reader, maybe I'll just listen to the Bible. Oh, brilliant, right? So take that design approach, and let's apply it to three spiritual disciplines that target your thinking and change your life. This is not a, 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 a big blob of blood on this target. This is a light bulb. The idea is it's this light bulb moment as we apply design thinking uh, to these three core spiritual disciplines. Worship with others. Commit to attending church weekly rather than weekly. I mean, I'd so, you know, I'd go, I'd go through this every year. Big, a zillion people show up for Easter, and I have the temptation to say to them, hey, look forward to seeing you at Christmas. Have a nice Thanksgiving in the meantime. <laughs> uh, well, church doesn't really help me. Do you ever go? Well, no, that's why I don't, I don't go because it doesn't help me. All right, it might help you if you went and participated in it. Uh, to attend weekly uh, is to be in a regular act of worship. So all of a sudden, you become comfortable Singing, you become comfortable praying or being prayed for. You become more comfortable in how you use your body to worship. You become more comfortable in listening and understanding what somebody is doing to present the word of God to you. You start to build, uh, in a sense, a mental library of all these things that, oh my gosh, that's really helpful. Grow with others. Commit to a life group rather than a light group. Uh, many life groups uh, start out well-intentioned to say, let's read the Bible, let's talk about what it means, let's share our lives, and let's pray for each other. And it's very easy to trivialize that by going, oh, I, uh, would somebody read something to us? That's interesting. Hey, let's share what's going on with you. I'm fine. Hey, for three years you've been fine. What, what's up with that? <laughs> Nobody can be fine for three years. Fine means feelings inside not expressed. You're lying to us, basically. You're holding back. Well, if I told you, it would be embarrassing. Or, um, or I might have to mention somebody else, you know, like your wife, your husband, your kids. Okay, don't give us any names, but what are you wrestling with? Where do you need God to meet you? How can we pray for you? Uh, and so a light group wants to say su superficial. When you go to a life group, it's not like, hey, man, tell us all your deep, dark secrets. It's more like this. Would you join us in having a conversation about God's word and think seriously about what are the implications in your life for that word? And if you think there are any things that you might benefit from doing with God's word, tell us what you need from us to encourage you to pray for you. You see the difference in that? So it's not like it's interrogation, big bright light, tell us about all your sins. Tell us everything embarrassing about you. But it's rather, join us in a conversation where we start to understand God's word conversationally, 
We're helping each other figure out what it means and the implications for us personally. And then we pray for each other because we believe that prayer isn't pixie dust. We believe that prayer captures our attention on what God wants to do intentionally in us. Prayer opens us up to an awareness that God himself is the power source for us getting anything out of all this attempted effort of discipline. And finally, serve with others. Commit to giving a giving plan that becomes a living plan. Uh, we give you all kinds of opportunities uh, to do this, whether it's a Habitat build, whether it's stuff we're doing around the campus, teaching Sunday school. Uh, right now, we are so understaffed in, in uh, uh, children's ministry and junior high ministry. If you read the Read, Think, Pray, you saw some embedded um, a, a sign up chimp or chimp monkey or sign up, whatever it's called. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, we, we need people to say, I'm willing to serve. I'm going to plan my life around serving and figure out what that work looks like in, in your schedule. Commit to a giving plan, a time, talent, treasure. And what happens is you've developed a living plan. The church in America is weak because people don't have a serving plan, time, talent, treasure. It's a convenient, spontaneous, if it works plan. Therefore, there's no traction. There's no great uh, outcome. Uh, if you lift weights once a year, whether you, need it to not, uh, whether you need to or not, all you have are sore muscles for a week, and then you have that to look forward to a year later. Committing to a giving plan means you're sitting down saying, I'm a super busy student. I'm a super busy mom, dad. I'm really involved at work. I travel a lot. But what can I do to, to strategically uh, give money, to give time, to give my, my expertise, to bless the body of Christ so that they can we all can engage the world. And it's amazing how quickly a few minutes here, a few minutes there every day or every couple hours every week adds up to real impact. It only happens if you commit to a plan. That's a discipline. It's a discipline. And, and, and when, why do churches get tired and discouraged and, and dry up and blow away? The core of people doing this gets smaller and smaller and smaller because everybody else is going, they're awesome. I love watching them do that. They're so good at it. I don't want to get in their way. And those people get so tired and worn out. By the final time they fall down face forward in the dust, everybody's gone because there's nobody else to watch. And so the church is constantly replenished by people saying, I wonder what I can do to be a part of that. Uh, you have a, a, a personal affirmation. How about have a personal commitment statement for the year? Uh, I made a simple one. I'll read my Bible and pray. I'll worship God at a church. Well, it sounds kind of silly. Why do you have to say at a church? I can worship God anywhere. Yes, I do. I, I, I can, and I often do, but I usually don't. I need the regularity of being in a, in a church setting with brothers and sisters to really worship God. Kind of like you could get a college degree without going to college. You get the same information. It's just super inefficient, ineffective, and you have a lot of gaps. So going to college, going to a, a trade program, going to any kind of formative experience where there's framework and discipline and mentors and teachers accelerates your capacity to learn and grow and apply disciplines. I'll commit to a life group. I'll contribute 10% of my income. I'll serve with others to bless others. You can make a simple commitment statement and build it out all you want. If you're fancy, you can get yourself a mind-managing software that allows you to build out all kinds of uh, detailed aspects of this. And hey, what do I want to see happen in my garden this year? What do I want to see happen in my body this year? What do I want to see happen financially? Ooh, I want to get out of debt. What would that look like? And also you build out these goals with sub-goals. It can be overwhelming, but start simple. What are we all about here? What's this whole point of discipline? It's cultivating community. 
an internally connected, externally focused community. Why? Because when we're internally connected, we're strong. When we're externally focused, we're reproductive. We, we go out of our way intentionally to bless other people. We start to see that we're a core of worshipers, but we're not the primary audience of the church. The primary audience of the church are those people who don't yet know Christ or don't have a place to land and worship and grow with other believers. So out of that core of being internally connected, uh, we say, you're welcome to join us. We, we encourage you to come in. And so discipline thrives in support of community. Discipline thrives in support of community. Discipline thrives in support of community. Do you see a theme here? Discipline thrives in support of community. Discipline thrives at every age and stage in support of community. Discipline thrives across all kinds of otherwise impenetrable barriers in support of community. So the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. All those excuses that undermine and distract us from this core discipline that allows us to live deeply and fully. He says, let us run with perseverance, with discipline, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So let's pursue discipline and run the race together. I hope you're up for that. I hope whatever age or stage you're in, you're willing to re-up for that or for the first time sign up for that. Commit yourself to that. The transformation in you will be remarkable. The transformation in your experience of community, marriage, family, professional life will be stunning. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, thank God I'm part of this. I never knew this was possible. And what was once a fanciful idea will become the normal walk of Christ in your life. We were together with a bunch of guys this weekend at a Wild at Heart, and, and I think that was the feeling of all those guys there was, this, this is the norm. This is awesome. This is what I want. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as we step forward and open our hearts and our minds to you, to one another, to your word, to your Holy Spirit, that we would experience the discipline that, that leads us to life, that makes us strong, that makes us resourceful, allows us to be uh, uh, sustainable and scalable uh, as a person, as a, as a family, as a church. For this, we give you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Now, this is the opportunity where the ushers are going to come forward to collect the morning tithes and offering. You have your prayer connect card that just easily tears right out. You can put that in the basket. Uh, there's envelopes in the seats in front of you. Uh, if you would like to give online, you can go to our website, ljcc.org. But this is just our time that we celebrate what God's doing, and we want to partner with him and look forward to the fruit that he's going to bear here. So let's continue our morning worship with giving and song. Before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea A great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me Name is graven on his hands Thy name is written on his heart I know that while in 
depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin because a sinless savior died my sinful soul is counted free for god the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me to look on him Austin. disciplines and the habits that we can live into Jesus if we could only make the time to sit at your feet and listen so Lord we commit ourselves to those things today we're going to go out singing this song it sings just that that we build our life on the teachings of Jesus on the rock and on his love worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you In Jesus' the name above every other name In Jesus the only one ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my Show me who 
Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever talking about what does it look like to embrace grace, to embrace joy, to embrace perseverance, uh, to embrace hope. Uh, so as you're pursuing, uh, get ready to be embracing uh, the very things that God will be uh, giving you and leading you into and, and deepening you through and making you his hands and his feet in, in a world that desperately needs his grace, his joy, his perseverance, and his hope. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in fullness and newness of life with him, with discipline, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.